Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Uh, Today's Thanksgiving. I hope that you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm recording this episode at uh, 10.30 on Thanksgiving night because I just realized I didn't release an episode today and I try to, my intention is always to release one on Monday's and Thursdays at the very least. Um, and I didn't release one today. So, uh, but the, be- the upside is it gives me a chance to really talk to you, say happy Thanksgiving. I spent it with my family. Um, on my mom's side, I have, a, uh, I have a very huge family out here in California and uh, about 20 people there. Probably not the safest thing to do. But I just, I missed my family. I needed to be around family today. So Michelle and I uh, did that. And of course, you know, (laughs) in my family, we do prayers after we eat. We want to make sure everybody survived the meal. Everybody lived. Nobody had an allergic reaction. Um, and, And so we all said prayers after our meal, which isn't, we don't typically do that. It's just that people have been drinking a little early and, and then they realize we forgot to. And so afterwards, we, we did prayer and it was real emotional. I was really surprised at um, how many emotions can come up for us when we actually take the time and in just a few seconds to share what we're grateful for and thankful for and, and what we appreciate. Uh, in our lives, uh, so it was it was a powerful moment. I was I was very grateful for the fact that my mom, who had COVID for a couple weeks, um, she hasn't fully recovered. She's about I'd say eighty five percent because she ha- she still has a lingering cough from uh, a, a couple months ago, maybe six weeks ago, um, and so she's still struggling with that a little bit, but. She's still back to talking trash and having fun and going on walks and, and things like that. So, and eating cashews, that's her favorite. She loves cashews. So, uh, she, so she's, she's doing well by all accounts. So super grateful for that. I was super grateful for laughter. Uh, as we know, without laughter is, is healing. There's so much research on because it allows us to get the stuff out of us that um, uh, that the, the bacteria and stuff it it it, it expels 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 uh, the the quote unquote bad bacteria from our body. So laughter. I'm so I'm so grateful that I can laugh every single day. Um, and so uh, what else was there? Anyway, let's you know what. Happy Thanksgiving. I don't want to make this too long. Uh, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And uh, and I know that uh, a lot of us are struggling with things, but today we have a guest, Lena Kareem, who uh, is a tomboy. She's a coach and a spreader of sunshine. She's also survived stage four cancer. So she's going to talk to us about how she survived stage four cancer and what the what the doctors thought it was originally. Yeah, uh, there's some there's so much misdiagnosis out there. So if if you have a diagnosis and you have some questions about it, you're not sure, get a second, get a third, get a fourth opinion. Keep asking questions. Uh, uh, have somebody be an advocate for you who will, meaning that they will go in and ask the questions on your behalf. But uh, you, you deserve uh, to be healthy. You, de- you deserve to be healthy. And so fight for that. And also uh, fight for the right diagnosis. And if you feel like something is wrong, speak up and say something. So uh, I just, uh, it's going to 2021 strong. Right now, my whole thing is snoring. I have sleep apnea. So I'm seeing uh, different doctors to help me sort through that. Um, so with that said, 
Let's jump into the episode. Well, I'm glad you full of laughs. I mean, what now? What cancer did you beat? What, who'd you beat up? Who'd you take in the alley? Which cancer did you take in the alley? And, oh my and gosh! Have your way with you, you name the cancer, I had it. Come um, on. So, <laughs> so I uh, they actually found it when they found it. It was stage four already, so it was in multiple places. Um, they may they think it might may have originated in the vaginal wall. Or the uterus, um, they don't know for sure because, like I said, it had spread by the time they found it. Um, it was on my uterus, my gallbladder, my appendix, in the vaginal wall, my ovaries, um, and a top part of my cervix and a bunch of lymph nodes down the left side of my body. Yikes. And, and they don't know when it, like where it originated? Where it originated, they don't know how fast it was. It was growing. They don't know anything. I had actually have no history of cancer in my family, um, and I was I was married. I got married um, in October of two thousand and five, and in November um, I started getting sick. I started getting a stomach pain that just wouldn't go away, and um, man. They went, I went from doctor to doctor just trying to figure out what it was. They gave me MRI, CT scans, and endoscopy. Um, in fact, they told my husband at one point that women, because I was 26 at the time, um, they told my husband at one, uh, one point that women of your age are self-conscious about their bodies. Um, so they per- tried to put me on antidepressants. And uh, obviously it wasn't depression. It was it was. It was cancer. So they um, mistook your cancer for depression, depression, Mm -hmm. self-conscious about a body as a, as a young woman. This is what doctors said to you. Yes. A doctor that had just performed an endoscopy. I would imagine that (laughs) being the only person in your family with cancer, did you, was there some feeling of like, shame or embarrassment or did you immediately feel like it was something that brought the family together and you felt more connected than ever? Well, lucky for me, I, I, like I said, I was born and raised here in in Phoenix. I actually have three sisters um, and we are all really, really close in age. Um, And, you know, my parents, my parents are here and everything. So it actually, it brought us together closer. I, I know the first thing that I was worried about was that I was, um, I was going to scare my mom. Mm. Um, and when I called her to tell her, I could hear the emotion in her voice. Um, but they've always, they've always kind of tagged me or pegged me as like a, they call me, they used to call me the tin man. They still kind of do where it's, um, you know, I'm not really emotional. So they call me call me, my sisters call me the tin man, but, um, I was worried about that for my mom. Um, and then my sister who had had my oldest sister who had a number of miscarriages at the time was actually pregnant. And, um, we were worried that if we told her that she was gonna miscarry again. Um, so there was a lot of, of that kind of happening. Um, but you know, when, when, your family gets together and, you know, they have a common goal is to get, you know, their sister or their daughter healthy. Um, I had a lot of support, thankfully. And, you know, a lot of people don't have that. And I was very lucky to, to be able to have that with them. Um, one of my sisters, um, she would actually, she was a bartender at the time. She would actually leave work 3am, you know, come to my house, uh, to stay with me. So my husband could go to work. And I would wake her up at six, you know, she was getting three hours of sleep. I'd wake her up at six to, you know, hang out with me their day or try to try to make me some breakfast that I couldn't, you know, I didn't have enough energy to, to make myself. And, um, she would get up and do it. No complaints. She did it for, for several months. So, you know, it kind of brought everybody closer together, which was, which was really, really cool. Shout shout out to your sister. Shout out to your family. Shout out to you for, um, you know, sharing the experience with them because so many people, um, you know, I was listening to Robin Roberts. Uh, she's the host on Good Morning America. And, yeah, I know her. Yeah. And she uh, had cancer also. Breast cancer. Yeah. Breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And then years later, 
uh, she was diagnosed with MDS. I forget what the MDS stands for, but basically it's like a side effect, a uh, potential side effect that comes with from the chemo. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, I can't tell my family this again. Like, this will be too much. You'll feel like a burden. And um, Right. But she finally felt uh, there was an antidote. I forget, I forget what the what the message was, or like there was there was something, there was a test that you could take to find out if you're gonna have M- MDS or whatever. And once she realized that, then she opened up and, and and shared it. But I bring it all up to say that a lot of us are afraid to share what's going on with us because we don't want to feel like a burden and we don't want our our siblings or friends to come over at three, you know, three o'clock at night, get three hours of sleep, and then wake up and et cetera, et cetera, because we feel like it's too much for them. But really, like you said, it brings the family together. Yes, it's tough. It's hard. 100%, it sucks. 100%. Uh, it's not fun. But but life isn't always about being fun. Sometimes it's about connecting and, and feeling like you're, you're, you're get, it's a, there's a reciprocity that comes with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it has a way of, of making you change direction. So it, it, at the time, I was, I was a teacher. I, I loved to teach. I was a teacher for 11 years before I was diagnosed and, or before I finally left. And, um, I love to teach and I always thought that that was my calling. Um, so I actually left teaching after I decided that it was time for me to deal with cancer because I didn't really deal with it. I just went through the steps. You know, there's a lot of emotion that goes through that. You're just trying to get over it and get to the uh, we we as cancer survivors always hate the words the new normal and that's what they're using now with covid right now is the new normal the new normal we hate that as cancer survivors we don't want the new normal we want the old normal you know we want our lives back and um i didn't deal with it i was trying to get back to the regular normal and you know you're changed you're you're different and and you don't realize it and it was after um you know a few years of realizing that i couldn't force myself to be to put myself back into that box that I actually left and, and started working for the American cancer society. So that's actually what I, what I do now. I still coach high school basketball. I still do that, but cause I can't get away from the kids, but that's, you know, your, your life kind of changes to a different, not everybody's like that, but it was like that for me. It was, it was something that I, I did cause I felt like people needed to hear my story. And it was, I felt like there was a different calling in my life at the time. Uh, so I, I, it sounds like you're divorced now. No, still married. Oh, still married. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought you said, yeah. you, I thought you said you're a husband at the time. I was like, yeah, how bad was this marriage? Uh, I was like, did he cause the, <laughs> did he cause it? All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. no, he's still, he's still he's, around. He's, he's still, still around. Here. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and, and what is it about? I want to cover, so I want to unpack so many things, but what is it about cancer that you've learned that you feel like so many people don't know or, 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 or and should know in terms of, uh, prevent, uh, the, the preventative side? Is there, is there anything uh, that you're like, Oh, if I had known, I would have done that more. You know what? I, I think, I think that what, what people, um, are starting to do now that they didn't do a lot of, and this was back, you know, I was diagnosed back in 2006. So it's been almost 14 years, um, is that you really have to be an advocate for yourself. And it's kind of scary to think about, right? Because your, your whole life growing up, you think the doctor knows everything, right? But they, they don't, you know, they don't know everything. And, um, and that's good. That's, that's, scary too. You know, it's scary for more, most people, but you really have to be your own advocate. And, and like I said, I, I, you know, I started to get sick in November. They didn't diagnose me until nine months later. I wasn't diagnosed, you know, until July. And, um, had I had taken the doctor's advice previously, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you today because I was just saying, okay, well, the doctor said it's not, not a big deal. The doctor said this is fine. The doctor said this will go away. The doctor said this, you know, I think that re- people really need to be their own advoca- advocates. And I think if they're not feeling right, they really need to voice that. And if they're not happy with, with their doctor, I'm sure that there is better care someplace else. And I was fortunate enough to end up at, um, you know, we have a really fantastic hospital. I can't see enough great things about Mayo hospital here in Phoenix, but I was fortunate 
to end up there. And, um, and I was lucky. And I, and I say that because I was, I was really lucky to end up there, you know, being a teacher at the time, my insurance was awful, awful insurance and doesn't cover everything. You know, it's free, but you know, free of horrible insurance isn't, (laughs) isn't great. And I was lucky enough at the time to be able to jump on my husband's insurance, who at the time had no pre-existing condition conditions, because that was an issue back in 2006. And doctor after doctor, I finally got referred over to Mayo, and that's where they found it. And and essentially, you know, they're the ones that that cured it, saved my life. I I, I always say saved my life twice, because they saved my life from cancer. But um, after my third round of of treatment. I got an infection and, um, I barely got to the hospital in time and I was in a drug induced coma on a ventilator for 10 days and they didn't think I was going to make it through the night. Well, the good doctors at Mayo, they saved me. So. Wow. Uh, I, I love that story because I've, we hear so many stories about when people, you know, do wrong and, uh, first responders make mistakes and, uh, I mean, just society. We're always getting news of societal ills, but uh, we don't hear enough stories about when when lives are saved and and people who go above and beyond. So, uh, shout out to the doctors who who did what they did, um, and, and the uh, nurses, and the nurses, the doctors oh. and nurses. Yep, and, and the janitors. I mean, let's just keep going. The janitors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, seriously, it's like if they're not around to to clean up the things, and then the, the nurse slips with a scalpel, you know. Stuff yep. can go south real quick, so it, yep. it's a it's a it's a chain reaction. I want to I want to go back a little bit to what were the symptoms that you presented with with when you had cancer that they were like, no, that's depression. Like what what were those? What were they basing it off of? So um, the the initial the initial symptom that I had that was kind of uh, consistent was a, a dull stomach pain, and it wasn't like you know, if you eat something bad and it kind of gives you little bubbles in your in your stomach, and you know you have to use the restroom, wasn't like that. It was it was more like a a, a, a stomach pain that somebody was um, consistently poking you with like a, a pen, and it was kind of under my belly button. And I would wake up in the morning, and it wasn't enough to keep me in bed, but it was enough for me not to feel very good. Um, and I. Uh, it kind of, it would start in the morning and then it would kind of subside toward the afternoon, but that lasted probably about, uh, I want to say about a month consistently every day until I finally said, okay, there's something wrong here. I need to get to the, to the doctor. Um, so when I ended up at this one particular doctor, um, he just thought it was like anxiety or depression that it was kind of giving me these physical symptoms of having the stomach pain in my, in my lower belly. So when he did the endoscopy, he saw some inflammation, but he said it was nothing out of the normal. And what you hear from the doctors, um, that, you know, all the doctors that say, you know, the ones that finally diagnosed you, they say, well, Nobody was looking for cancer, which is funny, right? Because you would think you pull up a CT scan, you can see it's cancer. But, um, you know, unfortunately, more and more young people are getting diagnosed with cancer in 2006, even though it wasn't that long ago. There wasn't there still wasn't a lot of young people getting diagnosed with cancer. or It wasn't really well known. Um, so I, I think that um, those doctors or that particular doctor just thought, you know, well, it's typical for a 26 year old woman to have depression or anxiety or hormonal issues. And and this is what we're going to do. Wow. What's so powerful about what you said is that, you know, the fact that nobody was looking for cancer, so they didn't find it. And a lot of times there are things in our lives, both good and bad, that we aren't looking for, but they're there. And there are people Mm -hmm. right now who are listening who uh, might feel hopeless in their situation, but they don't recognize that there's that there are glimmers of hope. They, but they're just not, they aren't looking for it. They're, they're, there's, there's, right. there, there are points of joy and, and, and purpose and meaning and connection and a smile. But you, we have to look for these things. They, they, they can't they always just present themselves. 
you have to be looking for this. So I'm glad you brought that up and that they weren't looking for cancer, so they didn't find it. It's crazy to think about, but it's true. It's, you know, it's true. And, and it, you know, it's all about, you know, we'll, you hear about manifestation all the time, you know, like, for example, if you're looking at, if you're looking to buy a white truck, you know, you start noticing all the white trucks in the road, you know, as you're driving, or if you're looking, you know, if you're looking for a specific dress, you know, you I mean, you see all the red dresses in the store. It's whatever your mind is, is thinking is what you're going to manifest. And not saying that I manifested cancer because I don't think that that happened at all. But when you said when you talk about glimmers of hope, if you're looking for the glimmers of hope, you're going to see more of those. If you're manif- you, you know, with that manifestation, you're going to you're going to see more of those things. If you're looking for for doom and gloom, you're going to see more of that doom and gloom. It's going to be presented in your in your forefront. So um, I like what you said there about how how little glimmers of hope. You just got to keep looking for those. The, the moment you receive the diagnosis, what can you take us through like the, the feelings that you had at that moment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll tell I'll tell you this. Um, so like I said, my husband and I got married in October of 2005. Um, we went on our anniversary to Maui and we liked it so much that we went back um, in. We planned a trip to go that July. So. In the midst of all this, um, I was finishing up my master's degree. Um, I did that, you know. I was going back and forth to doctor's appointments, and I, you know, I started not necessarily to lose hope a little bit. I mean, to lose hope, but a little bit I did about what they were going to find. I just thought maybe eventually it would go away, like whatever that pain was. Um, so I get a call in July. Um, and they say, you need to get to the doctor right away. Um, I said, okay, well, I'm in Maui, so I'll get to the doctor when I come back. And, um, I remember we, we came back, we flew back the very next day. I'm sitting in the Mayo hospital. Um, and I'm sitting there with my husband and I remember, you remember weird things about that night, you know, when you go through some traumatic, you know, very traumatic and I remember there was the, they had these cat fancy magazines. I don't know if you've ever seen a cat fancy magazine, but it literally gives me PTSD when I see one <laughs> because they were always in the male hospital. Anyway, so it's a, it's a magazine about cats, but, and I don't even have cats. I have dogs, but they had a cat fancy magazine and I'm sitting on the, on the, uh, you know, the exam and the exam table and my husband's sitting on the, the bench next to me. And this doctor walks in who I'd never met before. His name was Dr. Magrina. And he was the head gynecological oncologist at Mayo. And he walks in and he puts all these things up on the, these images and things on the, on the board, you know, to show me. And he says, sits down and he looks at me, nice man. You know, he looks at me and he goes, Lena, you have cancer and I'm going to show you why. And up until this time, you know, we had gone months without knowing anything you know, in fact, one doctor even told me he was, it was a one in a million chance I had cancer. Um, so he says, Lena, you have cancer I'm gonna, and I'm going to show you why. And he starts pulling up um, the things and he, he shows me the dark masses in the different places. He says, we're going to need to get you into surgery right away. And then he looks at me and he goes, turns the chair and he goes, and you won't be able to have children. And that's how it was said to me. So um, I kind of held it together a little bit. I looked over at my husband who he had tears coming down his, his eyes. And, um, I, you know, I got choked up. Um, and he said, it'll be fine. He goes, you know, we're going to get you into surgery and we're going to, and we're going to have a plan for you. And not, not once did he tell me that I wasn't going to make it. Um, not once did he tell me that it didn't look hopeful, even though come to find out, you know, <laughs> months later that, you know, I had a 25%, 25% chance of survival. He never once said that to me, you know, he might've said it to my husband, but never once it, it did, did he say it to me. So two weeks later I ended up in, in, in surgery. And I remember at the time the, the, the nurses were asking me if I wanted something in my IV, like an Ativan or something to calm my nerves before surgery. 
And I said, no, I'm good. I'm just ready to take a nap. And they took me into surgery. Um, supposed to last three hours, ended up lasting six and a half because the good thing about Mayo is that they're able to test other parts of your body while you're under. So that's why they were able to find it in the lymph nodes. Um, and, uh, they took every piece that they found cancer on. So, um, it didn't really, you know, the, the day he told me that I had cancer was devastating, but I was ready to get it out. Um, three days later after surgery, when they told me that I had to have chemo and radiation, that's when it, it, it made it a little bit more real for me. Now I've heard about chemo brain. Have you experienced that where like there's anxiety and, and depression that comes along with that? Where, where did they talk to you about that before it happened? So the, the good thing is, is, um, is that at Mayo, they, right when they, Right when you're diagnosed with a, a disease like cancer, they assign you a counselor. So a counselor is assigned to you right away. And um, the counselor is on your, your itinerary, just like any other doctor's appointment. And she meets with you weekly and kind of assesses where you are mentally. Um, so um, I met with her weekly. There were some times that she, you know, she brought in like a, a lady that did kind of like hypnotherapy. She thought I could benefit from. Um, but there was a point when, you know, you're, you're weak, you're tired, you're hungry, but you're not, you don't have an appetite. Um, you're sick. You feel nauseous all day. Uh, there was a point where my counselor said, you, we need to get you into a psychiatrist and you need to meet with the psychiatrist. Um, now, you know, from consistently. And I don't know if that was the chemo or just the, the emotional trauma from, from what I had been through, you know, just being poked and prodded and, you know, one thing after another. Um, but there was a psychiatrist that I saw at the time who was, who was very, very helpful. Um, and I, I saw him and the counselor along with my appointments, chemo brain, um, they say affects you. <laughs> they say it affects you for the rest of your life. I typically use it as an excuse now, you know, I probably don't have chemo brain anymore, but if there was ever, you know, if I forget something, especially at, at the American cancer society, if I forget something, I forget to do something. I'm like, Oh, chemo brain. Sorry guys. So, you know, I experienced that a little bit. It's not so much anymore. Most people have it you know, for a long period of time, but once treatment stops it, you know, it subsides. Wow. What a great story. And were there some things in counseling and therapy that, uh, that you learned in terms of like coping skills or self-soothing techniques or anything that helped you, um, you know, maintain some sense of, uh, calm? You know, I think the, the biggest thing is, is, is meditation, you know, um, the power, the, the brain is a powerful, powerful tool, right? And I personally believe that the brain has the power to do things that we can't even imagine, even heal ourselves. Um, and that is something that we, you know, we talked about, you know, of course they did the cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, trying to change your, your, your train of thought, but, but meditation, brain work, um, you know, realizing the power of the brain and realizing the power that it can have over not just yourself mentally, but yourself physically. And so that's something that I try to continue to take with me daily um, if I ever have an issue, you know, and maybe I need to ang anxiousness or, you know, occasionally you get a little depressed over something, um, taking the time out to take care of yourself, you know, maybe practicing going back to your meditation. Cause a lot of times we get away from it, but going back to it and trying to reassess, trying to reassess those things. Journaling has always helped too as well, but you know, those are things that I, I continue to stick with and I continue to to utilize as tools for my everyday life. Yeah. Is that a wonder woman journal you got there? Oh, can you see? I didn't, I didn't realize you could, I know I have my video on, but I didn't realize you could see. Yes. It's my wonder woman journal. I, I love it. Now, why wonder woman? What are, what are, what are the characteristics of her that you are trying to in, imbue and buy? I don't know what the word is. So, so growing up, I, my sisters and I were all real big wonder woman fans. You know, we would always 
for Halloween, we'd dress up as Wonder Woman and, you know, you'd spin around and do that, you know, little Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. And, um, post, post treatment, um, they, they started to call me Wonder Woman because, you know, there was a lot of times that they didn't think that I would make it. So, um, I kind of embody, tried to embody that her strength, um, you know, um, every day, you know, her power, her strength. Um, I even on my 10 year cancerversary, I even got my uh, Wonder Woman tattoo. I don't know if you can see it on my forearm there, but it's kind of like an outline of Wonder Woman. Oh, and, yeah. and, um, everything I do now, you know, like it's, it's always, I have Wonder Woman, everything. In fact, I did, my friends and I do like a physical activity. We try to do you know, every couple of years we did a bikini competition, which I've never done a bikini competition before in my whole entire life, a fitness competition. And they were saying, you know, um, they were trying to pick out the color of your bikini or whatever so that you could win. I said, I don't care if I win or not, I'm wearing a wonder woman bikini up on stage. So just, you know, no matter what they said, I still did it. So I kind of, they call me wonder woman, you know? So that's what I, everything I have is wonder woman now. Uh, so of course I got I have to know did you win? Did you did you I came in 6th, which is not bad for for oh, your um, first time. Somebody that's never that's never done it and probably will never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I have a newfound respect for those women. Um but it's just it was not for me. You know, it got me in great shape, but you know, I'm I I like a little bit of curve and when you when you do those bikini competitions, you're you're muscular, all right, but you're not really very curvy. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I dated a girl who was muscular, and that wasn't fun. It was, it was damn near a, a hazard. It was <laughs> just an accident waiting to happen. She was, she was so muscular. I, <laughs> right, you get elbowed. You get elbowed in the face one yeah, night. Yeah, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's, it's it's not a good story. It's not a good story to tell in the locker room. I tell you that much. <laughs> Are you, do you, you know, uh, my aunt, uh, beat cancer also, I forget which kind of cancer she had, but congratulations uh, to her. That's awesome. Thank you. And I, and she's a nurse, <laughs> excuse me. And I asked her about, uh, nutrition and diet. And she mm-hmm. said that, uh, to drink lemon water, hot lemon water every day and keep your sugars low. Were were you told anything about uh, in terms of nutrition, in terms of uh, preventing preventing cancer or or keeping it at bay? Well, um, you know, since I've since I've worked for the for the American Cancer Society, I realize I I understand now, you know, how sugar sugar feeds cancer. Um, At the time, though, um, you're so depleted and you're you don't really feel like eating anything what the nurses and doctors said was whatever she can eat, give her. So even though, you know, a strawberry milkshake is probably not ideal for you to eat, you know, if you have cancer, because technically it feeds the cancer, you know, but that either you, you eat that and you have, you know, some food on where, uh, food on you where you can fight or some carbs or, you know, some nutrition of some sort that you can fight or you just don't eat. And then, you don't, you know what I mean? You don't make it. So at the time they just told me to eat whatever I could. The only thing they told me to stay away from was anything that had a potential for, um, bacteria like, uh, fresh vegetables and, um, fresh fruit. So anything, um, that I was eating had to be cooked thoroughly. Um, you know, cause if you get like, I don't know, salmonella or something, um, you're, you know, that could be devastating for you. So they told me to eat whatever I could eat. Uh, A lot of times what I, what I would do is I would get frozen fruit because frozen fruit is not fresh. Um, and I would, um, have a smoothie and I'd put one of those carnation instant breakfast packets in there so I can get all my nutrients and vitamins, um, from that. Cause that was probably one of the only things that I could stomach. Um, and then it kind of had an opposite effect of me post cancer. So you don't hear this a lot, but a lot of times when people are done with cancer, they try to get in the best shape that they can, right? And I did the opposite. I tried to put on as much weight as I could in case the cancer came back. 
because I was afraid that if for some reason I lost my appetite again, that I would dwindle away to nothing. So it wasn't until, I mean, you can't live your life like that. You develop heart disease, all kinds of other issues, right? Wasn't until years later that I said, okay, I can't live my life like this anymore. I can't live my life scared um, that I'm going to get cancer again. And I have to be in the, I have to be in the best possible shape I can to give my body a fighting chance to live as long as it possibly can. So that's when I started eating better, um, working out, uh, lifting weights and doing those kinds of things, just kind of taking care of myself a little bit better. I love it. Now, are you taking any supplements with that? So I am taking supplements. Um, I actually, since, because, um, I went into, technically I went to menopause in 2006, I do hormone replacement. Um, I know a lot of, um, people are afraid of, of, of hormone replacement because of the increased risk of certain types of cancers. Um, so some have to do hormone replacement a little bit different. Um, but I do take estrogen and, um, progesterone and testosterone that, um, they're pellets. So I do hormone replacement that kind of helps subside, um, my hot flashes. Um, and then it kind of helps, um, kind of keep me a little bit more focused and even, even tempered, like I've always been even tempered. So, um, this kind of helps me keep to my normal, but they monitor that frequently to make sure that that hormone level stays at the level it needs to be it, be it. Um, I also take, um, a supplement, recently started taking a supplement called mood food, um, that Zymogen makes and it just kind of relaxes you, keeps you calm. Um, I take a omega, omega three. And, um, sometimes if I, you know, feel like I'm not getting enough sleep, I'll take a little bit of melatonin just to kind of make sure that my body has enough rest for the, for the day. That's fascinating because I was going to ask you, uh, and I've never asked anybody this on on an episode, so don't feel free to not answer if you don't want, but (laughs) has it affected your sex drive? And is that hard to separate from going through menopause? It, you know, it is. So that's one of the things that was an issue. It was an issue for me and my husband, you know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and people don't, that's the thing is people don't talk, talk about that enough. So I'm glad that you asked. And for anybody that is listening and that is struggling, you know, with, with that, get your, your hormones checked. So basically when they went to test my, my testosterone, it was the same level of testosterone as a 91 year old woman. So if you can imagine a 90 year old woman's 91 year old woman's sex drive, it's probably not very high. Right. So I don't know. I heard they get it on in those nursing homes. <laughs> I, I, I heard a lot of shenanigans take place uh, when the lights go, go off after bingo. After bingo was a bingo. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) But it it does, it does, it does affect. Um, and you know, one of the things that people also don't talk about is because you're menopausal, you know, the use of lubricant is essential. And I've actually had, there isn't, there actually isn't a, a month or a week that goes by that I don't get at least two or three people reaching out to me, asking me questions just like this that are afraid they're, they don't ask their doctors, but they'll ask me because they know I've been through it. But, you know, is lubricant a big deal? Yes. It, that will help a hundred percent. So, um, they don't, then people don't talk about that. You know, it's what's, what's, what's scary and what's, you know, they're embarrassed to talk about it. Um, testosterone level will help. Even your estrogen will help. Um, but those are important things and they're important things about being human. You know, especially if you're, you know, like my husband and I, you know, I, we went, I went to technically I went to menopause nine months after we got married, you know, so that would be a hard thing to have in a, in a marriage and people don't have to sit there and suffer in silence. There's, there's ways that people can help. Well, I'm, I'm, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, but th- so the, the sex, the, the diminishing sex drive and, and the hormone thing was more related to menopause than it was to the cancer. Well, the cancer, that'll affect mentally, physically, that'll, that'll, that'll mess you up. You know what I mean? But once you start getting back to your, you know, once treatment's over or whatever, um, 
if you're still going through treatment, you know, that'll, once you start leveling out, you know, you, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, pe- when people go through their, you know, their periods and their hormone levels kind of fluctuate, it'll even out at some point. And once that evens out, you'll get that drive. As long as you don't, you're not in, if you're, if you're menopausal, you need to get your hormones checked. If you're not, that'll even out. It'll, it'll work itself out. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And then, um, you talked about meditation. What's your meditation practice look like? So, um, what I try to do, and it's very, you know, when you first start meditating, it's very, very difficult, right? Because you're trying to think about all these other things, but I actually started meditating because of, of, you know, not only the psychiatrist, but from yoga, because a lot of times when you're practicing yoga, you're, you're have a focus, right? So you're trying to focus your whole practice or that whole session on that, that basic focus. Um, and I realized the benefit of that. So, um, you know, I like to, to go into a room, put some, my favorite thing is to put on, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the calming app. There's this uh, app it's called calm and it has like, you know, like raindrops or, um, you know, it sounds like you're at a lake or something like that. I like to put that on and just kind of pick something, sit there and focus on whatever I want my intention to be. Like if I'm having a hard day and I'm having anxiety or something like that, then I will go in there and, and work on that. So I'll breathe, focus on my breath and try to use that as my mantra. Like I, I like to use a lot, my, my mind and my body can heal anything. My mind and my body can heal anything. And I'll do that over and over again. If for some reason I have a hard time focusing, um, then I will go through one of the guided meditations that that calm app that calm app has. So um, I'm a big believer in that. They have all kinds of stuff on there. If I'm having a hard time to go to sl- going to sleep one day, I'll use one of those meditations and go to sleep. So. I, I, I love. Yeah, I use guided meditations also, and uh, I like to listen to the same ones over and over. But I also like what you're talking about in terms of. You know, hey, I'm going through a specific thing, and let me meditate on that specific thing um, mm-hmm. as, as a way of doing it. Because I think so many people feel like they have to meditate every day, and it has to be. And if they're not, they're not doing it right, and uh, they have all these rules around it. But it's it's your practice. You can practice it however you want to. So whether you want to do it every day, once a week, whenever you feel like you need to, it's it's your practice. So and it's just like you're. It's like cooking. It's like however you want to cook. If you want to eat. If you want to do an intermittent fast, if you want to eat, you know, every three hours, like whatever your thing is, whatever works for you. Right. You know, it'll, it'll all work. It just, whatever, you know, not one, it's not one size fits all, you know, it's whatever is the best for you. Not everybody's the same. No. If we were, then everything would work the same. Right. And, it and, and the world would be boring too. We wouldn't, we, I mean, we <laughs> wouldn't be right. having this car. I wouldn't be asking you questions because I, I'd be like, yeah, oh girl, you had met, met, menopause. I had menopause too. You know, like we, it would be. <laughs> It, it wouldn't be a great, it wouldn't be a great conversation is what I'm trying to tell you. So it's good that we're, we all get to be snowflakes and, and have individual uh, fingerprints so that we can share our experiences and ver- versus uh, uh, hiding them or, or, or isolating from, or being ashamed of them. Right. Absolutely. What? And I love what you're doing on this podcast. I think it's an amazing thing too. If, and, and if we run for some reason, run out of time in a little bit, I just want to let you know that this is an amazing thing that you're doing. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. In terms of journaling, how mm-hmm. what, what's your what's your journal practice look like? Are you are you writing down feelings, uh, cooking recipes? What's in there? <laughs> you're not supposed to know. No, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you. Um, so it it depends on what it depends on what I'm um, I'm I'm having. You know, typically we try to we, we write when we have, um, an issue, right. You know, cause you're, you're trying to heal that issue and I've been better about writing the good things that are happening. Right. So, you know, this is happening, this is happening, but I kind of use it as almost like a, a, a vision board. Right. Um, or if I'm having a rough time, let me, let me start with that. If I'm having a rough time, let's say I'm having a rough week. Um, I write in there every day how I'm feeling. If I'm if I'm anxious, I'll go in there and I'll write in there about you know my level. I always write my anxiety level or my irritability level. 
Um, because a lot of times we get stuck, right? Where if you have a bad week, you think, oh my God, the whole week was bad. It was the worst week ever. But if you go back and you look at your journal and you say, okay, on Monday, I was an anxiety level seven. And then on Wednesday, I'm an anxiety level five. And I now I'm an anxiety level three. You realize, okay, maybe it's getting better. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't remember that you just think, Oh, I've had anxiety all week. So, but you don't see that you're getting better. So that's one of the ways that I use to kind of help myself get out of a a tough situation. But, um, I also like to use it as, like I said, a manifestation thing, almost like, um, I always like to say like a magic wand, you know, here are the things that I want to happen. Here are the things that I'm, I'm wishing for here, you know, nothing, I'm not, saying that I'm in here wishing for a million dollars, although everybody would write that, but I, you know, I'm in there, you know, tangible, tangible things that, you know, I'm wishing if I'm having anxiety, I'm wishing tomorrow is going to be a good day. I'm wishing that at 10 o'clock tomorrow that I'm going to be able to do this at seven o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to be able to do this. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a vision board. You know, I want to focus on you know, in 2021, I want to take this vacation. So you're, you're putting your, your thoughts and your wishes in on paper and it kind of makes them a little bit real, a little bit more real. Yeah. It also gets you excited a little bit, right? It makes you want to go tackle uh, the things that were hard to do when you go, Oh, well, if I want to go to Maui in in 2021, then uh, I I better, you know, get these dishes done, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. anything is there, is there anything that we haven't talked about Lena in terms of, uh, uh, of coping skills or self-soothing techniques or anything that, or anything about the, the, the process of, uh, from, from being diagnosed to, to beating it to the, the post and anything that we, we haven't discussed that you like more people need to know about this. Yes. There's actually one thing that and like I said, I, it's not, you know, a week or a month or you, that goes by that I don't get quite a few people that reach out to me, unfortunately, that say either my sister has cancer, my friend has cancer, so can you help them? Um, and the one thing that I always tell them is as difficult as it may sound, don't try to let it consume you. My favorite coping technique when I was going through treatment was, um, and like I said, I'm not an emotional person and I didn't like I don't like people to see my emotion. So I would go into a room and I would lock myself in there at two from two to three every single day. And I would be angry and I would be mad and I would cry and I would be upset and I would yell. And at three o'clock I had from two to three to do that. And at three o'clock I would walk out of that room and try to live my life. And if I was getting upset, instead of letting it, let it letting it consume me that next day, I would try to hold out and wait until my two o'clock time. Some days I'd make it all the way to two o'clock. Same days I'd have to go in there a little bit earlier, but I would try to limit myself to one hour of day and the rest of it to healing my body. Thank you so much, Lena, for, for sharing that. I, I, it's a beautiful thing. I have a t-shirt actually, uh, is getting made now that says a little bit angry. Because we're all, we live in such a world where everybody is, be calm, be mindful, but there's a place to be a little bit angry. Right. And, and, and there's a place to, to cry and a place to, to, to uh, smash things or, or, or scream into a pillow. There's a, there's a place at the table for all of our emotions. Um, and, and it, you know, it's, and I'm so happy that you found a space where you can do that. But, you know, hopefully we, we, one of the things I love to envision is a future where we can display all of that out in the open, the same way we display our laughter and our, mm-hmm. and our cheer and our joy. Uh, mm-hmm. We should also be able to express the, the, the tears and the frustration uh, that is part of the human condition is, is not, it's not something that is that that one person is experiencing. It's something that we all uh, experienced at some point. So, hundred uh, percent appreciate you really for sharing that. Um, the, this last question, and I ask this of all my guests, because I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice 
of ending their life. Mm-hmm. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Lena? I would say that every situation is temporary. So if you feel like you want to end your life, just know that it may not be five minutes from now. It may not be 15 minutes from now, but an hour from now, you're not going to feel like that anymore, or you may not feel like that anymore. So just know that every situation, every emotion is temporary. I love that. And it's so true that the, the research, the literature actually shows that the, those feelings, those waves, those sandstorms of suicidality last anywhere from five minutes to one hour. So if, if we can just if we could just find a room and yell into a pillow and 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 or grab our journal or just sit with it and, and meditate or or go for a swim or a walk or call a friend. But there's so many options. Uh, you know, yell out, your, yell off your, but go onto the rooftop and well, don't go on the rooftop, but yell, yell <laughs> off your balcony, you know, call uh-huh. an enemy, call anybody and, and, and uh, anything's better uh, than what you're considering. So thank you, Lena, for sharing that. Thank you listeners for listening in. Remember uh, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. You know, Lena got through what she went through with her sisters, with a counselor. There was an entire team of people around her. And I know that there are people that you're like, I don't have any. There is somebody who will help you. There are always stories of strangers helping other strangers. So there's somebody around you. If you're just willing to open up and say, I need help, but you have to, you have to say it. You have to make that first step. So uh, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours. Truly Lena, plug all your things. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me at, I'm private right now, but I'll go back to public. I'm at, um, at, at Lena Kareen, L-E-N-A-K-A-R-I-N-E, um, on Instagram, Lena Spottleson on Facebook, S-P-O-T-L-E-S-O-N. And, um, I put on a big event here in Phoenix called Making Strides Against Breast Cancer. Um, it's the sixth largest event in the nation, over 24,000 people. So if you're ever in Phoenix, come check it out in October. Thank you so much, Lena. Thank you so much, listeners. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you. Thank you.